United Wonders Night. For low three years, once a month, Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics at NC State University, has appeared on our program to give us an update on the economy, and he is here again tonight. Dr. Walden, is this electronic stuff working again tonight? Um, I hear you just fine, too. Let me say that Dr. Walden is, uh, has been at NC State, I think, 34 years. Is that right, Mike? No, no, you got to turn around. 43 years. 43. I got the numbers in reverse. <laughs> well, 43. Uh, and I, I tease my wife, Mary, and she'll she'll ask me, well, you know, have you, have you thought of the R word and, and the retirement? And I tease her and say, well, I had in my family a great aunt who taught elementary school for 50 years. 50 years. Now, this is this is decades ago, uh, but uh, I teasingly tell her, yeah, I want to break that, that family record, but <laughs> that probably won't happen. Well, Although just, someone in our department, a guy named David Hyman, just finished his 50th year at NC State. Right. Well, uh, let's just say that uh, you've been at NC State long enough that we've made you an official North Carolinian. Dr. Paul <laughs> well, actually is from Cincinnati, We've Ohio, made the right choice coming The reason that he pulls for the race. from Ohio and Mary from New York. From Western New York. And uh, if we ever decide to quit this, Mike, she has to bake us one more cake, okay? That's that's, that's the deal. I'm revealing that she comes from a long line of bakers, but that isn't what she did. she does, yes. Before she retired. English bakers, yes. But anyway, Dr. Walden, you can tell we have a good and long relationship with him. He got his Ph.D. at one of the great land-grant universities of America, Cornell University, mm-hmm. and came to another one of those, NC State. And uh, as he said, he's been here 43 years, and he's been on the air with us, I think, 31 or 32 of those years, and uh, has never missed a, uh, a, a date that he was assigned. Uh, because I had a little accident in the spring, We our, our streak of continuous programs was interrupted for three months, but he... He was the first person I called when I got out of the hospital. And so he's here tonight to update us for the economy for the uh, the September meeting of our show. And lest I waste any more of our, our good practical time, Dr. Walton, I'm going to turn it over to you for an update on the economy. Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, the economy is still challenged. Uh, we are, are still dealing with the measures that uh, uh, medical people said we had to take to to contain and hopefully ultimately control the COVID-19 virus, and that that was that most states uh, uh, restricted business activity. Most states uh, told people if you don't have to go out for necessities, stay home. That created a, a recession that caused the economy to shrink, which we saw in the uh, second quarter, uh, April, May, June, a uh, big drop in the economy. The good news is in the last. Uh, let's see, May, June, July, August, uh, last four months, we've actually seen a turnaround, and we're about halfway back. Uh, and if you look at most of the economic metrics, most people focus on, on the job market. That's the easiest to understand. We're about halfway back. Uh, does vary by industry, but uh, we had a, a jobs report for the nation. We won't have uh, the... Uh, August jobs report for North Carolina until a couple of weeks. And I might might put a footnote there, Tom, because people often ask me, I don't, they say, I don't understand, Dr. Wall, I understand. How come it takes longer to get local data like North Carolina or even, uh, say, city data? Well, 
on the economy uh, than it does at the national level. And the reason is that the most of these data, particularly the job data, come from a survey. It's not a total count. It's a survey. And if you know anything about surveys, and of course we're in the middle of a hot political season and polls are based on surveys, you have to make sure you're, you're getting uh, samples in the, in the right proportion across various groups. And that's easier to be, that's easier done uh, for a large geography like the country, and you only have to develop one sample across the, the business community. Whereas when you get down to the state level, you have to get run 50 of those, 50 of those samples. And then if you get down to the metropolitan level, you've got, I think, 300, 300 metropolitan areas in the country. So <clears throat> that is a, a somewhat ironic uh, matter that uh, we get national numbers before we get local numbers. But anyway, we had the national labor force numbers come out uh, last Friday uh, for August, 1.4 million net new jobs. And if you add that number to the number of numbers for the previous three months, we've regained about half the jobs we lost. Now, very important to note, Tom, that this doesn't mean all the same jobs are coming back. And in fact, that's going to be one of the long-run, I think, impacts of this virus. It's going to really change our economy, particularly the, the labor market. Um, I tell people that when they want to know, okay, well, then where, where are we going? How fast are we going to grow? When are we going to get back to where we were pre-virus? It's all in the hands of, of, the, of COVID-19. The virus is really controlling us. Um, I guess we've had some reasonably good news on, on cases, um, although we've had some, some situations in my industry in higher education where we've had some setbacks there. We've had some news about vaccines potentially in the, coming in the near term. That will be very, very important. But the, uh, on the other hand, there are people who worry about a second wave coming which is natural for these viruses that could set us back. And this virus, in fact, I read an article today, Tom, and you may have seen this in a, in a national, one of the national newspapers I read, <clears throat> that talk about how incredibly complex this COVID-19 virus is and how it, 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 it seems like it almost has a mind of its own, and it keeps throwing, to use a baseball metaphor, curveballs at the, at the scientists and doing different things and mutating, et cetera. And uh, that has added difficulty to controlling the virus. But, but we, we, we have made some improvement. We have regained some of what we've lost. And uh, there was news, I, I don't know if you heard it, top of the hour, that one of the uh, companies that has a good record in developing vaccines, AstraZeneca, which is a Scandinavian country mm -hmm. company, has, has stopped one of their trials in England because their vaccine that they were testing on one patient, and they developed something new and, and un, unrecognized. Mm -hmm. and, so, uh, and that's yeah, that's one of the issues that that we're that that we'll, we'll have to deal with. Of course, way out this way outside of my field, but um, you, that's that's why we do these trials, or the companies do these trials because um, uh, they want to make sure the vaccine does what they want them, want, them, want it to do, and not do other things. And we're dealing. With a, a again a unique virus, well, this comes from a family of viruses, but each 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 new one is has its own characteristics that that we're still learning about. So, no, I did not hear that. So that's obviously unfortunate. And also uh, something that I picked up on is they're urging people to get flu shots if at all. Yes. Uh, to prevent that. In fact, I'll be happy to report I got mine today. 
doctor's in my doctor from my I got mine last week. I was check out and I got mine today. And I said to my wife, who was with me, we're in a doctor's office. Why don't we ask him if we can get a flu shot? <laughs> I mean, why well, have to go somewhere? And it turned out he he had them available, and I got one. But they're they're afraid it's going to complicate that matter yeah. with the other other uh, viruses. And so, yeah. uh, and I did hear while we were talking about breaking news, I did hear a report later today that said there is a new test that you can take that will detect whether you have COVID nineteen or the flu. And I think there was a third thing also. You can do all that, apparently, with one test, with one swab, if you will, that's been developed. It's going to be with us for a while. We need to take a break. Okay. And uh, I, I will admit, truth in broadcasting at this point, that Dr. Walden uh, gives me a cheat sheet. He knows what we ought to be talking about, and uh, he allows me to kibitz and ask a few questions here and there and maybe gnaw at him a little bit. And, uh, but uh, at the same time, he points us in the, me in the direction of questions that would be more fulfilling to you and be the right thing to be talking about. The next topic, by the way, is the Fed's new policy. It's working right around the corner of this break, so if you stay tuned, that's what you'll be listening to from Dr. Mike Waldron, professor of economics at NC State University. Let's see. I'm going to get it right. I got to get this number right. 98.5. I think that's right. Is that right, Tom? Did I get that right? Yeah, 98.5, Tom. Yep, yeah, okay. I, I can't read my own handwriting, is what my problem is. And it usually befuddles me with regard to the topic. So Dr. Waller is going to talk to us about. But I wrote this one down so well enough that I could read it. Dr. Mike Walden, uh, you are you ready to talk about the the uh, Fed's new policy? I am, Tom. But if if you will uh, indulge me just a minute, um, I think we've discussed these already. But you know, authors love to sell their own books, so I will remind our listeners that um, a book that I think I've been talking about for a couple of years, as I was writing it on your program, is now available. It's called Real Solutions, R E A L, and then Solutions a subtitle, Common Sense Ideas for Solving Our Most Pressing Problems. This is a book that, that really you and your audience had a part in, and that uh, as I have done talks and radio programs and other kinds of uh, public uh, appearances around the state for, as I indicated earlier, 43 years, I will get peppered with questions about national debt, taxes, uh, income inequality, education, etc. And so I, I finally decided about five years ago, I'm going to put my views on all these into a book, and so that is the book called Real Solutions, and that is now available. And then, uh, Tom, you, you also know this, that um, I occasionally like to indulge in a little fiction writing. Uh, I, I find, find that uh, somewhat therapeutic, and um, I'm a real fan of, um, uh, Tom, help me out here, the, the gentleman who wrote the book Seven Days in May. Fletcher Nebel, I think is pronounced his name, K-N-E-B-E-L. Um, he wrote... I'm sorry, uh, I didn't hear what you said. I was bending over. Uh, Fletcher Nebel wrote Seven Days in May. Is that how you pronounce it? Oh, I ought to know that. Yeah. Frederick Forsyth or somebody like that. I'm sorry? I was uh, saying I, the only name that comes to me is Frederick Forsyth. No, I think it's Fletcher Nebel, K-N-E-B-E-L. Anyway, he wrote the book Seven Days in May. Yeah. which is a political thriller, I have penned a, a political thriller called Disunia, Disunia. 
um, and that is also out and available. And both these books are available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, etc. And uh, this uni is—I uh, just had fun writing it. It, it sort of is uh, taken from the headlines. It occurs in a future time, but sort of shows us where maybe we could go um, if the different trends in our country go, and follows the uh, follows the trials and tribulations of three different groups of people in, in trying to uh, make sense of all this. So those are my two latest literary efforts, and um, always like to. Well, you know, it's an occupational hazard if you're a writer, you want to plug your work. Well, so. let me say, while, <laughs> well, while we're out in public here, you are entitled to one free book review. Uh, <laughs> you, 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 your people just have to get together with my okay, people. Okay, if, if you want one. I will let them know. Thank you. Okay, Thank we'll, 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 well, the Fed's new policy, yes. Um, the Federal Reserve, uh, in fact, when you're talking about economic policy, we, of course, we think about the President, we think about the Congress, uh, but Federal Reserve's out there. Federal Reserve is very, very uh, potent in policy making. Uh, they sort of do it behind the scenes, almost in a, with a veil, but um, they, don't do, they don't go out and make a lot of speeches, the people who run the Federal Reserve, but uh, they have some impacts on the economy through, number one, their ability to print money. Uh, which they've been doing a lot of recently with the pandemic, and secondly, their ability to uh, push interest rates in one direction or the other. And it's on that latter point that I, I want to make uh, make some comments about their statement recently that they were changing. They were changing how they would decide whether to change interest rates. Um, in the past, and there's no hard and fast rule here, but in general, in the past, Federal Reserve would do would be to observe, let's say, inflation. And if inflation started to edge up, that is, if the rate at which prices are rising started started to rise even faster and faster and faster, so you go from 2% to 4% to 6%, that would be a signal of the Federal Reserve that, hey, we need to slow the economy down in order to take this pressure off of prices, and they would raise interest rates. And that would, that would cause uh, lending to back off a little bit, borrowing to back off a little bit, spending to back off with, with a little bit. The trick there was for them not to raise interest rates so much that it would cause a recession. Well, what the Federal Reserve said, I think about two weeks ago, is that they were going to take a much longer look at, say, something like inflation. And even if, let us say, inflation had been edging up, the last three months, if the previous three months or the previous six months, maybe it had been going down or maybe it had been level, the Federal Reserve was going to take that into account also. Uh, what a lot of um, Fed watchers and Fed analysts think the Federal Reserve is, is really saying is they are going to leave interest rates at these super low levels. In fact, by some measures, interest rates have never been lower. They're going to leave interest rates at these super low levels for the foreseeable future, and that this this new policy was just a way of justifying that. And, of course, that has implications for investors, which meaning that if you're an investor looking for safety and you're looking to certificates of deposit or treasury bills or treasury bonds, you're going to get very, very low interest rates return. On the other hand, the stock market likes low interest rates, so that may be a motivation for people to move into the stock market. But then for borrowers, for buying, borrowing money to buy a car, house, et cetera, you're going to be in a very low interest rate environment probably for the foreseeable future. 
Can I extend uh, what you were just talking about and ask a question about it? Because somebody asked me today, Tom, who's going to be your guest tonight? And I said, Dr. Mike Walden, he's going to talk about the economy. And, and they, they made some observation about the fact that the uh, stock market took a hit today. And uh-huh. I said, well, that's, that's at a level that he's interested in it, but as an instrument rather than as something to concentrate on. I may have misstated what you're interested in, but I think I'm close. But you were, you're more interested in the big picture of the economy. Well, the, the stock market certainly is an important part of the economy, oh, yeah. so I am interested in it. What I don't try to do is, is predict the, the stock market. Uh, I think that's somewhat, well, I just don't think a lot of people can do that consistently, so I don't, I don't try. I think what's been happening, of course, we had a big drop in the stock market when the pandemic hit and, and states shut down and people are told to stay at home and we had this steep drop in the, the economy in the second quarter. Stock market did go down, but uh, it's been going up fairly consistently the last uh, several months. And in fact, I think some of the indices totally recovered what they lost uh, earlier in the year. Now, the last week or so, the stock market has been heading down. I think the Dow Jones has lost about 3,000 points uh, from 20, I think it was around 29,000 and change, and so down. Um, uh, my view on that, and, and this is not something I try to predict and I don't do quick buying and selling, my view on that is probably that the market got ahead of itself, uh, as they say, that, that they were too optimistic. We're now hearing, well, vaccine may not be ready. Um, uh, maybe it's not going to go as smoothly as we think. And in fact, it's going to be interesting to see, given your uh, news point, Tom, about the um, one of the companies having some issues with their, their vaccine, vaccination trials, what that will, how that will be reflected in the stock market yet tomorrow. So I, I think this is, uh, and, and you, if you get into technical analysis in the stock market, there are people who say, well, yeah, it went up such a percentage point, it was way overrated, now it's coming back down to a, to a more normal level. So I don't, I don't think this indicates a, a new recession coming, but um, I would call it more of a, a mini-correction that... Um, uh, again, investors perhaps uh, got ahead of themselves, too optimistic, and there are a lot. There's still a lot of uncertainty out there where we're going to be in three, four, six months. Well, I, I, I'm glad you you took that on because it's one of the things that, well, the stock market is one, I guess, one of the more visible monitors mm-hmm. or signs of what's going on in the economy, and people yeah. tend to attribute to more to it. And again, if you want my Walden's view, and I'm not a professional investment advisor at all, but just what I do is I'm always, my attitude to the stock market is that, number one, if you've got money in the stock market, realize that's riskier than a lot of other places. So you should not be surprised that there are ups and downs, a lot of them very volatile ups and downs. Secondly, that doesn't mean you should never be in the stock market, but you shouldn't certainly have your whole portfolio in the stock market. And, Mike, we need need to go right here to hold that thought. Yes, sir. We'll get the rest of that sentence after we come back. We're going to uh, do something we haven't done yet, but we might as well get around to it, and that is uh, I'm going to say to you uh, uh, that you're the guest, and it's kind of an open phone program, and we need to talk about what you have been doing while you have been quarantined, while you're inside uh, uh, and can't come out, while you've been locked in. So that will be what we will talk about tomorrow night, and I hope you will be here ready to participate. On uh, Thursday night, we're going to have a nostalgia night. 
we may talk a little bit about Hurricane Fran, which uh, the anniversary of Fran's visit to Raleigh, I think, on February 5th or 6th, 1996 or 1995, uh, was a momentous event. So uh, we, we will re re return to that. And Friday night will be Friday night trivia. Dr. Waldron, are you there? I am, Tom, yeah. You and I sometimes talk about, I'm not directing this specifically at you, but I, I thought about it while listening to the newscast having to do with the fires in California. Many years ago, five or ten, I read a book called Young Men and Fire mm -hmm. by Norman McLean. He, he, he wrote a more famous book called A River Runs Through It, which is about oh, yeah. trout fishing. Mm -hmm. The river, uh, Young Men and Fire, is about a group of uh, smoke jumpers who got trapped on a mountain mm -hmm. back in the late 1940s, and it's a very exciting and uh, interesting book to read, so I'm going to recommend it. Norman McLean, mm -hmm. uh, to you and to anyone who would like to read a good book. And uh, there's nothing wrong with passing around some, some good reading like that. Uh, Dr. Walden is here tonight with his weekly, no, excuse me, monthly update on the economy. And he was talking when we interrupted him to go to the news. I will say that the, uh, the next topic that he has on my list is, uh, I believe, Dr. Walden, a job forecast. It is, it is. Yeah, you may not have um, finished what you were talking about, so maybe you want oh, to Well, just to wrap up on the stock market, I, I think I think most investment experts uh, and analysts would say <clears throat> buying stocks should be, or owning stocks should be a part of most people's portfolio. Of course, there's several ways you can do that. You can buy individual stocks, or you can buy a, a broad collection of stocks. You can do that through what are called index funds. Um, you probably do want to change your percentage of your uh, investment you have in stocks as you age probably go down because as you age, like like uh, I have, and you have, well, everyone's aging, but Tom, you and I are up there in that, I guess, last uh, quarter part of our lives, if not less, uh, you want to probably move more towards safety. Doesn't mean you want to sell all of your stocks, but uh, you just don't have as much time to recover. But um, uh, I think the biggest mistake people make with the stock market is, or two biggest mistakes, is they think they can always buy low and sell high. And the second one is that they don't realize it should be a part of your portfolio. It should never be the entire uh, portfolio. Tom? Yes, I'm sorry. I, I, my, I, I told John earlier I was having a little trouble with my phone tonight. But uh, are, are you going to go on to job forecast? No, that, that, yeah, let's go on and talk about job forecast. Um, clearly one of the, if not the most important part of the economy. And we get every year a new forecast, uh, sort of the official forecast from the federal government, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, on what the job market's going to look like over the next decade. So we just had released uh, late last week, I think, their latest version of that, which is the decade covering 2019 through 2029. For some reason, they, they use they define 10 years. They always take the last year of a of a decade. So 2019 and 2029. I'll, I'll say a couple things about, uh, and, and interested listeners can go online and pull down, pull down all of the details, but I'll, I'll make a couple of major points. One is that the federal government is predicting job growth over the next decade. They're predicting, now we always have some jobs go away, new jobs come on. So whenever economists talk about job growth, we're talking about net. It is the, the 
number of jobs added versus the number of jobs lost. And the federal government is predicting over the next decade uh, we will have a net gain of 6 million jobs. Now, that, that sounds good, but if you look at it on a percentage basis, actually an annual percentage basis, it's, it's very modest. It's, it's uh, less than a half percent gain in jobs each year. And to compare that forecast to the performance of the last decade, 2009 to 2019, we gained job, net jobs at a rate of 1.3% a year. So almost cutting that in, uh, actually more than cutting that in half, and the report says two things are behind that. One, my generation, your generation, Tom, the baby boomers are fast retiring and getting out of the labor market, and that's a big generation. And we're not getting the inflow of new workers at the same pace because the birth rate has gone down so much. And then the last point I'll make is that uh, you can go into this report and see at least what these forecasters think of in terms of where the jobs, biggest job gains are going to be. Should be no surprises here. Top of the list, health care, health care industry. Uh, second, energy. And um, the third, information technology. So those would be the, the top fields that they would argue that one might want to, so someone's young and trying to decide on a career, those would be the top three fields in terms of job generation over the next decade. Dr. Mike Walden talking about the job forecast for the future and his assessment of the current state of the economy for this September 2020. Dr. Walden, I get to use a big word here. Now you want to talk about the psychological <laughs> impact of uh, the problems we're having with health yeah. in the United States. with the pandemic, yeah. The pandemic. Some people might say, well, wait a minute, Walden, you're an economist. Stay in your lane. Uh, psychology is a whole other field, and I and I totally get that, totally respect that. I should say, though, that the economists have sort of gotten out of their lane over the last 20 or so years because there's a whole new field that didn't exist when I was going through my graduate program in the, uh, in the uh, uh, 70s, and that is the uh, so-called behavioral economics which is sort of a blend of psychology and economics. So anyway, uh, but this, um, this pandemic, of course, is going to have long-lasting impacts. And one of the things that, that we, economists and others, can do is look back at previous instances of something traumatic happening in the economy. It could be another pandemic. And we've had several pandemics. You and I, Tom, I mentioned this last time I was on, we lived through one called the uh, Asian flu, 1957 to 58, which killed 100 and just short of 120,000 Americans, and we had um, uh, less than half the population as we do now. So that was nothing to, to overlook. But pandemics would be one. Um, um, financial collapse, as we went through with the Great Recession, would be another. Um, and, and the point here is that once things return to normal, so-called, normal in quotes, do people forget what they went through? And, and the obvious answer, I think, is no, they don't, that the trauma that they went through, uh, like we're going through now, with um, many people out of work, having their hours cut back, uh, uncertainty about the, the virus, et cetera, will stay with people. And I think particularly with respect to this pandemic, I think what many people are going to think in terms of the future is, well, we, we, we could buy more of these which is what the experts actually say. And um, if, if that's the case, if enough people think that and believe that, it probably is going to affect their economic behavior. And 
specifically, if you think the future is not going to be as good as you may have thought it before the pandemic, that may change a lot of things you do, like investing, uh, like taking risks, like making, maybe opening a small business. And collectively, what economists think that means is the economy will not grow as fast, even after the pandemic has been banished, because in the back of many people's minds is this fear that we could have another pandemic and go through all of this again. So, so this pandemic is going to have long, long-lasting effects in addition to those, Tom, we've talked about before, like on the job market, and maybe we'll get to tonight, uh, like where people live. Psychological impact of the pandemic. Dr. Mike Walden, Professor of Economics at NC State University. We have one more segment to our program, and we'll come back and, and deal with it. Dr. Walden, I was thinking you were making little bulbs go off in my head that that uh, things like the pandemic come along when we think we've solved all uh, all or most of those problems, rather like uh, an anniversary that we have coming up in just a couple of days. Did that the world had seemed to settle in back in the early part of the aughts, the 2000s, when we had 9/11. We're just yeah. about to have another anniversary there, and it's been sneaking up on me, and I, I didn't realize it. So. It, it, it does have a psychological impact. I yeah. think it makes you... I think a lot of people now uh, talk about that in terms of where were you when you heard yeah. about the Twin Towers being hit, and I can... And, you, and you're wary. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't know exactly what, what, what's out there, but you know there is, there is something out there that we, we you know, maybe can't be sure of things. Right. But I'm going to have to get out of the psychology business just like you <laughs> said along the way. Uh, We're going to take a break, and when we come back, and we'll talk some more economics on WPTF. September the 8th, 2020, and uh, Dr. Mike Walden, our resident economist uh, from NC State, he visits us once a month, usually about the middle of the month. This is about as early as he's going to come, and we sort of move him across the month. He doesn't have an official day, although it's usually early in the week. But uh, tonight he's been talking about a number of issues. Dr. Walden, again, I'm down to where I can't read my handwriting, but I do know that you said the letter K plays a part yeah, in the K-shaped part of recovery. economic explanation. Yes. We talked, Tom, uh, some time back about the various forms that an economic recovery, in this case from the pandemic-inspired recession, could take. The one that we'd like the most is called a, a V-shape, where we have a sharp down but a sharp up. Another is a W shape where we go down, we come up, but then we go down again. That is a double dip recession, maybe a double dip virus. U shaped is uh, we go down slowly, we come out very slowly. This is called a K shaped, and it has to do with who gets to benefit from the economic recovery. And the, the theory is that um, if there's a group of people who didn't have their jobs as impacted, adversely impacted by the by the virus versus another group who had more of an impact for their jobs from the virus, then you could get a different kind of recovery based on which group you were in. And the concern right now is that um, people who uh, are in professional jobs, for example, higher income jobs who've been able to who do a lot of work on the computer, uh, can, can have, have taken advantage of remote working. Uh, I'm doing that and have not had their income as, as adversely impacted by the, the virus versus people who are engaged in jobs where they have to be at a certain place. Uh, if you work in a restaurant, if you work in a retail store, uh, if you work in construction, you can't. 
can't you can't mail it in. You can't you can't remotely send it in because you have to actually be there to perform the task. Well, those people probably have have been hit harder because a lot of those businesses, at least early on, were shut down. If they've come back, they've come back slowly. So they probably haven't recovered as fast as the, those in the of the other group. And in fact, many of them have maybe not recovered at all. Maybe and actually have gone the other way. They've gone down. So that would be the lower part of the K. And obviously, if this does happen, um, that would hurt. Uh, that would expand income inequality because what you're what you're having that that K-shaped recovery imply is higher income people who are more apt to be able to continue working through uh, remote access are are going up. Their standard of living is going up. Their income is going up. Other people who don't have those kinds of jobs, usually they're related to education, who are hardworking yet they're in jobs that require a lot of personal contact and that's been restricted, they may actually have seen their, their incomes go down. And so you're getting this, this different situation based on which group you're in. So that is, that is something to watch as we go along and, and obviously something to worry about. Sounds like it's going to be difficult to answer that question. Uh, if not impossible, uh, it is being asked is when will we return to normal? There may not be a normal anymore. Well, I think there'll be a new normal. I think that normal. we talked okay. earlier uh, in previous programs. I think this this virus is going to change the job market dramatically. There are trends were already there, but more technology, fewer people, more remote working, uh, less in person working. Uh, a lot of sh people will still shy away from activities that that get you close to other people. That's going to affect jobs. So yeah, this this virus is uh, after it's long gone as a medical issue will still be staying with us as an economic issue. We've got about three or four minutes left, Mike. Is there anything else that you want to talk about? Well, I was going to mention what I, a notion I have called the new farm lifestyle, and this really has to do with the fact that I do think there are a lot of people who are going to reassess where they live post-pandemic, and if we get high-speed internet in the rural areas, and if you're a household where the workers can work remotely. You could see people move to small towns and rural areas and, and move away from the city. Of course, you know Tom in North Carolina, the big cities have been the big growth areas. But that, there could be somewhat of a reversal there if we, and it's going to be dependent upon high-speed internet in rural areas. But we could get a reversal there if people say, you know, I want to live in a more secluded area. I don't want to be interacting with a lot of people because I'm worried about these pandemics. I, I've coined the term uh, of a calling that a new farm lifestyle. You're not farming and raising crops and animals, but you're still performing your work at home. Uh, it will be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see. This gives us a moment. I don't have much to say. Normally you and I spend a couple of three minutes of broadcast talking about baseball, but it has been so depressing what has happened to it that I'm afraid I couldn't tell you what the Pittsburgh Pirates are doing one way or the other. How about the Central? Uh, they're not doing very well either. The Pirates and the Reds are pulling up uh, the, the bottom of the Central Division. So, And there are only, I think, 20 and just a few more than 20 games left in this shortened season. Dr. So. Walden is, uh, as uh, we noted at the beginning of the program, a native of Cincinnati. And in fact, a graduate of the University of Cincinnati. Yes, undergrad. And yeah. uh, I have been a pirate fan for entirely too long. No, actually, <laughs> since 1952. Well, Mike, I think we'll let you go for tonight. Thank uh, you, Tom. Enjoyed yeah. it. Enjoyed uh, having you and and uh, the listeners. And we do have to uh, give a shout-out and congratulations to producer John. Oh, yes, yes. 
we're, we're going to spring that secret completely on him before too long here <laughs> and uh, see, see if anybody makes anything of it, okay? Okay. Okay, thank you, Mike. Bye-bye. Uh, Dr. Mike Walden, professor of economics, actually the William Neal Reynolds professor of economics at North Carolina State University who visits us once every month. Uh, and as I said earlier, usually about the middle of the month uh, and usually toward the first of the week. But uh, the WBTF uh, website has our schedule each week. We post it on Monday morning. We didn't get it up yesterday because of the holiday, but it is it is up now of what can be expected that week. And it will tell you when Dr. Walden is expected to be here. And, and we enjoy and benefit from his views of what's going on with the economy. I will point out at this time that tomorrow night, we're going to have a kind of an open phone broadcast. We haven't done this since the the uh, the coronavirus has hit us, but uh, of course, part of its uh, part of its uh, game plan is uh, that we get to be locked up, that we are uh, 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 sort of have to stay at home if we can. And, and I thought we would we would have a discussion where I would invite you in and say I need to talk to you, and what I need to talk to you about is what you've been doing. While you were at home, and I got, I got locked up early because I was in an accident and uh, got to be in a, a recovery center for some time where I was locked up and locked up, double locked up. I'll tell you the story of that tomorrow night. Uh, Thursday night we're going to have a little bit of nostalgia. Friday night trivia. Right now we'll talk to you again tomorrow night following the nine o'clock news.